Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about your out-of-pocket costs. That can be a lot of money. But are your bills accurate? Well, it's estimated that over 50% of medical bills contain errors. HealthLock can help you. HealthLock technology securely connects with your insurance and flags any overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. So to save, visit HealthLock.com today. That's HealthLock.com today. From The Recount, I'm Rena Ninen, and you're listening to The Recount Daily Pod. Today is Tuesday, September 7th. So the question is, is failure to vaccinate similar to watching someone drown or more similar to not pressing on the brake when you're driving? That was UC Hastings law professor Dorit Rice speaking about the legal issues involved with kids and COVID vaccinations. We're going to dig into the details a little later on. But first, your morning headlines. We began in Washington, D.C., where Attorney General Merrick Garland announced on Monday that the Justice Department would protect women seeking abortions in Texas while the department explores ways to challenge one of the most restrictive laws in the nation. He cited the Freedom of Access to Clinic Entrances Act, which was enacted in 1994 and prohibits the use of threat of force or physical obstruction that injures, intimidates, or interferes with a person seeking to obtain or provide reproductive health services. The announcement is a response to the U.S. Supreme Court's decision last week, declining to block the Texas anti-abortion law banning the procedure as early as six weeks into a pregnancy, with no exceptions for rape or incest. The bill also allows anyone to file a lawsuit against people who aided someone in obtaining an illegal abortion with the potential for a $10,000 payoff. Next to federal unemployment benefits, which for 7.5 million people expired on Monday with no pushback from the Biden White House, the $1.9 trillion economic aid package signed by the president back in March included a $300 per week federal supplement to state jobless payments, additional weeks of assistance for the long-term unemployed, and the extension of a special program to provide benefits to so-called gig workers who traditionally do not qualify for unemployment benefits. President Biden's chief of staff, Ron Klain, spoke on CNN about the choice to not extend. We uh, think that the states have the tools they need to uh, help people move uh, from unemployment to employment. Meanwhile, the labor market is still struggling to find its new balance. 
While the U.S. currently has 10 million job openings, over 8.4 million workers are still unemployed. Economists say the mismatch between the two is because of the enormous disruption caused by the pandemic. Finally, we end on COVID as the U.S. passed the grim milestone of 40 million cases over the weekend. New data shows the full extent of the COVID variant's grip on the U.S. this summer. According to CNN, on May 31st, the number of hospitalized patients with COVID was at almost 24,000, with the average daily case count at about 17,000. On September 5th, the number of hospitalized patients had jumped four times higher to almost 100,000 people. And the daily case count, that surged to over 160,000 cases. With schools across the country scheduled to start in-person classes this week, those numbers are expected to rise. While vaccines are only available now to kids 12 and up, the question as to whether or not vaccines should be mandated has risen to the fore. We dig into that in our daily deep dive. Today, we're talking with UC Hastings law professor Dorit Rice about the legal arguments involved on both sides. Dorit, welcome. Thank you. So I kind of want to talk to you a little bit about here in the U.S. Children over the age of 12 are eligible to be vaccinated, but vaccines for children 12 to 15 are lagging. It's something like 25 percent. Why do you think that number is so low and why are parents holding their kids back? New vaccines often have slow uptake at first, and these vaccines were developed relatively fast. They're using a new technology. So there may be more hesitancy related to the vaccine going in even without politicization of the pandemic. On top of that, the pandemic has been politicized with some news outlets downplaying the severity of COVID, suggesting it's not as dangerous as presented, and repeating anti-vaccine points of misinformation. Oklahoma became the first state to pass legislation blocking school systems from requiring COVID vaccinations. You've got other states that also followed suit. Meanwhile, more and more children are getting sick with COVID. 120,000 cases reported just in a week span in August. What do you think? Is this all about vaccine safety or do you think there's some other factors playing out into this? I think it's about concerns about the vaccines. Though I would point out that you can't mandate vaccine without legal action by the state. So, for example, the Oklahoma law is pretty meaningless because to add the vaccine to the required schedule, you would have to pass the law. In some places, access is also an issue. For some parents, if your state isn't offering paid leave to go get the vaccine, they can't take the time off work to get their children the vaccine and access might play a role. For parents who don't want to get their kids vaccinated, can they be held liable for not vaccinating their children? Potentially. So first of all, right now, as you pointed out, the vaccines are only authorized from 12 and up. So younger children, the parents certainly cannot. But there is an argument that if a parent doesn't vaccinate their 13, 14, 15, and that 13, 14, 15 infects someone else, there may be liability. There are a few barriers to it. One is that normally we don't impose liability for failure to act. If you're sitting and watching someone drown and you do nothing, you're normally not going to be liable. So the question is, is failure to vaccinate similar to watching someone drown or more similar to not pressing on the brake when you're driving? We do hold people liable for not pressing on the brake when you're driving. There's at least a good argument that it's more similar to not pressing on the brake because the parents, for example, are sending their children to school unvaccinated, not just not vaccinating and watching passively. 
Why do you think at this point there are so many states who have these self-consent laws for minors to receive certain medical services, whether it's STI testing, HIV treatment? What is self-consent? And could this happen for COVID-19 shots as well? The idea behind self-consent is normally the parent's job to make medical decisions for the child, even the teen. And the assumption behind it is that children do not have the capacity to make those decisions. And that because the parents otherwise responsible for the child, they should have the authority to make such decision. But all states have exceptions in certain contexts, allowing children to consent, allowing teens to consent to certain treatment. Some states have general minor consent law that will allow the minor to consent to any treatment. For example, Alabama has a law that allows minors above a certain age to consent to any medical treatment. Tennessee has a judicial mature minor doctrine under which minors can also consent to treatment. So we have several states that have laws that already allow minors to consent to receiving treatment. Other states don't. And in those states, we would need legislative action or judicial action to allow teens to access vaccines. What do you think the legal statutes are that allow courts to take medical rights away from a parent? Allowing the child to agree to a medical treatment isn't taking away rights from the parents. The parent still has authority to make medical decisions for the child. It adds a right to the child to sometimes make medical decisions as well. And the legal basis for that is if there's no written law on age of consent, judges have leeway to make decisions on that as well. Some states will have written law on age of consent, but many don't. Dorit, I'm so confused because when you look across the country, there are so many states that are all doing things so differently. You know, there's no uniformity based on where you go in this country. Is there like a blanket law on where this is, whether it's states' rights versus local rights? As you're correctly saying, our system has several layers of law. In some areas, the federal government acts, and in some areas, the state. In public health, historically, the states have been the first line of defense, the primary actor. The federal government has additional powers, but they're limited in public health. So we've always had states pass most of the public health law. And much of the action in responding to a public health emergency started at the local and state level. And often that's logical because often the conditions in one place aren't the same as in another. So this patchwork that you're seeing is very normal in public health. But as you're also saying, we do have a federal framework within which this operates. And there's something the federal government can do and something they can't. So for example, right now, the federal government is investigating five states saying, by banning masks, you are violating a federal law, uh, the ID Act, and preventing children with disability from attending school safely. So the federal government can step in to uh, apply, implement federal law or regulate within the confines of federal law. But the primary driver is still going to be the state because under our system, public health law is primarily a state duty. And as you're saying, the result is that we have different approaches by different states. You can see it as a patchwork, a mismatch, a inconsistency. You can also see it as a natural experiment where states try different approaches. And sometimes we don't know what works until long after. Now, of course, when you're in the middle of a pandemic, the cost of such an experiment can be extremely high, especially when some of the choices the state make are blatantly against science, such as prohibiting mask mandates in school or prohibiting business from protecting their business with a vaccine mandate probably goes blatantly against the science. You talked about this being an experiment, but for so many parents, this experiment involves their children's lives. Where does the law stand if someone feels their health 
and their life is at stake because of the actions of others. How can parents push back? Parents can push back by reaching out to the local or state authorities and asking for vaccine or mask mandates in the school. And in some places, parents have mobilized and called for it. One of the things we're seeing that needs to change if you want more protection against COVID-19 is we've heard a lot from the minorities that opposes mask mandates and opposes vaccine mandates. They're aggressive, they're loud, and they make themselves heard. Parents who want more safety measures need to be as loud and need to speak up. They need to make it clear to school boards, they need to make it clear to state legislators that they want their children protected in school, that they want safer schools. I know some parents are already doing this, but leaving the political arena to the science deniers is going to lead to measures that put people at risk. We've got to take a quick break, but we'll be back with Dorit Rice, UC Hastings Law Professor on the Recount Daily Pod. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash iHeart. That's LifeLock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Welcome back to the Recount Daily Pod, a podcast from the Recount and iHeartRadio. I'm here with Dorit Rice, UC Hastings Law Professor, and we're talking about COVID vaccinations, children, and the law. 
Currently, all 50 states require measles, mumps, rubella vaccines for all children attending schools. There are very few exemptions on that. Are we likely to see a COVID vaccine requirement for children at the state level in the future? What are your thoughts on that? I think it depends which way the pandemic goes. Before we get to that, I hope we'll see some more teachers' mandates because right now you can't mandate the vaccine for children for which it wasn't authorized for children under 12. So we really are talking the 12 to 15 group for a mandate. And that's probably not enough to make a dramatic change. But we can make school dramatically safer by requiring the teachers to be vaccinated and staff be vaccinated, by putting in place better ventilation, by putting in place masks. We may see vaccine mandates later. But it really depends which way the pandemic is going. And I'll tell you that on a very selfish level, I really hope we get this under control long before the vaccine is authorized for younger children. And we therefore won't need school mandates. How confident are you that'll happen, that it gets under control before? I'm not. You're not. I'm not. I'm seeing a lot of states not doing anything about it. And that's what gives you the most concern? Yes. In fact, we are seeing several states go the other way, prohibiting mask mandates in school, etc. That's not a good way to get the virus under control. So I'm not confident at all. Dorit, how do you think that the COVID vaccine has changed the future of vaccination efforts in the U.S., as well as the self-consent movement that we talked about? The COVID-19 pandemic generally has dramatically changed our public health law in two ways. One way is by authorities pushing the boundaries on their powers to regulate in the public health by putting in place stay-at-home orders, mask mandates, etc. And the other way is by the backlash, by having a much more organized movement opposing public health and a much stronger, aggressive fight against public health measures. Both of those are going to affect public health generally going forward and vaccine efforts, because we now have, on one hand, the state knowing that it can do more things. And we have an opposition that's increasingly well-organized, well-funded and aggressive. You mentioned how sensitive this can be for some parents that feel a sense of responsibility that they just aren't fully sold. They might not be anti-vaxxers. They might just be concerned about how this could affect their developing child. What would you say to them? First of all, I understand it's a new vaccine and I can completely understand the fear, but it's always a risk benefit analysis. It's not a completely safe world for our kids, no matter what. We need to choose our risks. And the evidence is very strong that the risks of COVID-19 are dramatically higher than the risks of the vaccine. The best thing we can do for our children to protect their lives and health and to give them back the normal reality they had before COVID is vaccinate them. And I hope most parents do that. The flip side of this, if there's a child listing whose parents don't want them to be vaccinated, but they do, what would you tell them? Your best option is to talk to your parents and work with your parents, explain to your parents why it's important for you to be vaccinated and get them on board, checking your state law and seeing what your rights are to be vaccinated without parental concern. The site Vaxteen has a list of state law regarding teen vaccination, and that could be a good starting point. You've been in the thick of this. You've looked at the law. You've looked at public health. What concerns you in the coming months? What concerns me most is that we're seeing children hospitalized. We're seeing cases rising and hospitalization across the board and more death. We shouldn't be at a point where we're seeing over a thousand deaths a day at this point. I hope that we take action. I hope that by the spring, the virus will be under control. There's a chance of it, but it's far from certain. What worries you the most at this point? The fact that in some states, children are dying unnecessarily. Before you go, I want to ask you, there's a lot of movement on anti-vaccination, a lot of disinformation. Do you think the law can fight the amount of disinformation out there? Is there a way to hit back? 
So we need to be really careful in bringing the law to address misinformation and disinformation. The First Amendment is in place for a reason and has very limited ability to interfere directly and limit speech. The bar is very high for government interference in content of speech. It has to be done carefully. It has to be done narrowly to respect the First Amendment, but we can make it easier for individuals to sue when misinformation harms them. Dorit Rice, UC Hastings College Professor of Law. Dorit, thank you for your time and for explaining this to us. Thank you for having me. And now to the look ahead. Here's what else we're watching today. President Joe Biden will visit New York and New Jersey to survey the damage from Hurricane Ida. Both states have been declared major disasters, releasing federal aid through the Federal Emergency Management Agency. Flooding from the storm killed at least 45 people in the Northeast. Today is a UN Environmental Program's International Day of Clean Air for Blue Skies with a theme of healthy air, healthy planet. This year's focus will be on prioritizing the need for healthy air for all, while also addressing other critical issues like climate change, human and planetary health, and the sustainable development goals. The UN will be hosting roundtable events through the day, including one where youth advocates from around the world will discuss air pollution. Find out more on the website clearairblueskies.org. Today also marks the 25th anniversary of the fatal shooting of rapper Tupac Shakur. Tupac, who at the time of his death was the biggest selling rap artist, was shot by an unknown assailant in a drive-by while on his way to a club in Las Vegas, although no one has ever been charged. The murder is widely believed to be related to the so-called East Coast versus West Coast rap wars. Notorious B.I.G., also known as Biggie Smalls, was killed just six months later, and many believe the two murders were related. That shooter also never identified. I'll see you back tomorrow morning. This is The Recount Daily Pod, a podcast from The Recount and iHeartRadio. Our thanks to Dorit Rice for being on the show. And if you like this episode, I hope you'll subscribe to The Recount Daily Pod and do leave us a rating on the Apple Podcast app. I'm your host, Rena Ninen. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell, ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy. And we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. 
Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org.